good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. We are in March, which means spring is right around the corner, and we are excited for that in my house. We were outside yesterday, so it's a good day in that regard. I want to start by celebrating some things, okay? I want to start by celebrating some things, and then I'm going to pray for us as we get started. Last Sunday night, if you are part of the big event, was an absolute blast, awesome time. Thank you for all of you who were invested into that and just a part of the crazy that was happening. We had familiar faces. We had new faces. It was just a great way to kick off what we're going to talk about this month in the month of March, the sermon series called The Seed. And so we're excited about that. And if you're a part of it, thanks for all the energy you had towards that. And then today, we have an extension of us that is not present. Some of our students are at the retreat. We have about 20, 21 students at the retreat with 22 students. 22 students at the retreat with five or six leaders, adult leaders with them. And I got a text last night that said, be praying, God is moving. And so we started praying and we're excited to hear the stories and the seed that was planted this weekend in their life that will grow into fruit over the course of their lifetime. And so I want to pray for them because most likely they're sitting in a similar setting, uh, Session, closing up things. And if you've been to a treat or been away for a weekend, you know that you're excited and exhausted by Sunday morning. And so we're just going to be praying that God continues to speak in their life. So Father, we come to you and we just uh, want to open up with coming into your presence very specifically over our students. Father, we pray over those that are at the retreats. We pray over our leaders, pray over our students, Pray for students who have made decisions this weekend. We pray for students who are processing big spiritual conversations. Father, we pray over the moments of community they had together, the moments where they got to laugh, the moments where they got to cry, the moments where they got to wrestle with what you were running into their life with. And so, Father, we know that you are present in that space just like you're present here, and we praise you for that. We praise you that you are the God of creation, the God who is king, the God who is savior. And in that, we know that you worked in mighty ways. And so we want to come alongside of our students in this moment. Father, we pray that what happens this weekend wouldn't just stay at a retreat or at a campground, that it would come home. We entrust your spirit to that work and we entrust them to you as you launch them back into school tomorrow, as you launch them back into work tomorrow, as you launch them back into family life tomorrow. Father, all of their stories are unique. All their stories have different experiences tied to it. And not every one of them coming home has an easy story to go back to. And so we pray that the gospel would just make such an impact that they would run into tomorrow with a joy and resilience and a strength only found in you, Jesus. We pray that as they go, that, Father, you would just raise them up, that you would use us in this room, you would use those adult leaders in the cabins, in the sessions with them to come around them, that we are a part of their journey, and, Father, that you would use us and encourage us to run into their lives in a neat way. And, Father, as we talk about a really important conversations today and this month, one that's going to set the tone for the next three years and beyond, Father, that you would open our hearts, that anything of sin, anything of pride, anything that would withhold our hearts investing into where you want us to lead in the next three years, Father, would you just break through that with the gospel and with Jesus Christ? And Father, open up our hearts and minds to the wonder and the beauty of the gospel today. We're grateful that we get to do this together. We're grateful that you are a part of what's going on. We praise you and we love you. We thank you so much for who you are and all that you do. Praise your name. Amen. So we are jumping into a new conversation, and I want to start with this question. By a show of hands, how many of you have ever been on a journey before? Okay? How many of you have been on a journey before? Okay? You can define what that means, right? But I have been on a journey before, and I know this about a journey, right? A journey is going to take you somewhere that you are not currently present, right? It's going to take you somewhere that you're not currently at. It's going to take you somewhere where you desire to go. Or maybe for some of us, we went on a journey. We had no idea it was going to end us there, right? We didn't know where we were 
going. It ended us somewhere, and we're like, wow, we're here now, right? Another thing I know about a journey is this, right? Ready or not, here we go, right? You, Whether you're ready or not, you're going to land into a journey at some point. It's going to take you somewhere, right? And all of us, right, all of us, right, have been on a journey at some level, Right? All of us have been a part of a journey, whether in different spots of our life, or maybe you would just define your life as a journey. Right? I remember going on a very specific journey. Right? I went on a journey of uh, backpacking once. And I've told this story before. And that's my journey pose, by the way. That is my journey pose. You have to have a direction on where you're going, right? When I went backpacking, right, Joel, right here, who has no idea what he is doing, no idea what he just said yes to, no idea where I was going to land or where I was going to end up, but I said yes, right? And Joel said yes, for better or for worse, with the other guys that I went on the trip with. But I went on a trip with about six or seven other guys. We went backpacking. And here's what's different from backpacking to camping or glamping, as they say, right? Backpacking is you have 40 pounds, 50 pounds you carry on your back. Everything is in there, right, that you go camping with. You go into kind of a, I don't know, some crazy wooded area, some forest area, right? And then you camp where there's open ground to camp at. There's open ground to be staying, staying put, where you can put your tent, where you can do all this different stuff. And then the next morning you pick up and you go off again, right? You pick up and then you go off and then the next night you put your tent down, you go from there, right? Camping is you have a cabin or you have a tent that you just place there and then you go to the swimming pool and back. I remember going on this backpacking trip and seeing things that I never thought I would see or experience before, right? We saw ponies, wild ponies ponies. Where else do you see wild ponies? The Virginian mountains. That's where you see wild ponies. It was epic. You could touch the wild ponies if you so dared, right? We got to go and see the mountains and set our site where we're just seeing all this beautiful terrain and all of the joys that came with it, right? We got to enjoy eating a meal together. We got to enjoy being around the bonfire together, all the things that came with the journey, right? But here's the reality about a journey, Like I said, sometimes you go on a journey, you know exactly where you're going to end up. Most of the time you go on a journey, you don't know what's going to happen in the midst of it, where you're going to end up, or what the end result is going to feel like, right? But if you don't go on the journey, you'll never end up where maybe life or what I believe is where God wants you to end up. If you never take a step into the journey of investing into that time and space, you'll never know where God wants to lead you in it. I don't know how many Lord of the Rings fans there are in the room. I'm a Lord of the Rings fan, right? Yeah, Lord of the Rings is where it's at. And as I was watching uh, the stories and as I was thinking about a journey, I'm like, yo, Lord of the Rings is a journey story, right? Frodo and the ring and all of the different characters, right? All the different, the Hobbit movies, the Lord of the Ring movies. And his, one of the lines that are in it from Bilbo Baggins, okay? Bilbo is talking to Frodo, and this is what he says. I thought it was fascinating. It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step into the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to, right? Here's the reality of what I love about Bilbo saying that. It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. Here's the reality. Going on a journey can be a dangerous business. Going on a journey can be a dangerous investment. Going on a journey can feel intimidating, can feel like I'm not sure where it's going to end me. I'm not sure where I'm going to invest. I'm not sure what it's going to look like. But going on a journey is worth it. Because on the journey, even if it's hard, and even if it doesn't make sense, and even if it isn't easy or isn't safe at times, it's going to take us somewhere we have never been or take us somewhere where ultimately we should be. And honestly, it takes us to a place that we wouldn't go on our own, right? But journeys end up doing that. It takes us on a place where we wouldn't go in and of ourselves or on our own. And as a campus, we're about to launch into a three-year journey together. A three-year journey that over the last 11 months, myself, leadership here at the campus have been praying over, processing, even seasons of fasting in the midst of it. Asking God, where do you want to take us, right? Celebrating the fact of where we have been, celebrating what he had been doing in that moment and seeing what he's done over the last 11 months, and then asking God, lead us into this next season. 
Lead us into where you want us to invest, into the journey you want us to be a part of, into what you want us to run into our community with. In this journey, we're calling it the seed. It's a discipleship journey. We're calling it the seed because we believe any journey or any planting of or any beginning, right, feels very much like we're planting a seed for what is to come. We create a foundation for where God wants us to go. That we want to invest in the right things right now for the sake of 12, 50, 100 years from now when all of us might be with Jesus at that point, right? Except for a select few. And we get to see what happens over the generations to come from that. And we want to invest our lives in the seed that will eventually become the next generations of what we're terming oaks. The question that we're asking is this, as a campus, what if we planted the seed which would grow into the next generation of oaks? And I use that question very distinctly because when I say oaks, right, something pops into your minds, an image, a picture, you know what a tree looks like. You know distinctly what a, a well-grown, solid tree looks like, right? And as I was prepping for this sermon series, as I was prepping for the conversations of the seed, I did a lot of oak tree research, right? Which was not in my job description when I said yes to this job, but we did it, <laughs> right? And at, what I found about an oak tree is this. An oak tree can live to be about 900 to 1,000 years old, right? It's about 300 years of growing, 300 years of prime living, whatever that means, right? And then 300 years of decline is roughly an oak tree's life. In an oak tree, right, when you look at an oak tree, you see resilience, you see longevity. It even speaks to wisdom. It speaks to maturity. It even speaks to multiplication, right? What I found fascinating is there's this oak tree, I believe it's in South Carolina, this oak tree that's called the, let me get it here, angel oak tree. Here's what's interesting about the angel oak tree, right? It's 60 feet, 65 feet high with a circumference of 25.5 feet, shading an area of 17,000 square feet. That is an incredibly large tree, right? Gets about 400,000 visitors every year, right? You look at that tree. And this is an absolutely beastly looking tree. Looks like it should be in like uh, Neverlands, right? Where you're like running around on the tree and all the lost boys and stuff, right? Tree is a gnarly looking tree. That tree is only about 400 years old, right? So it's got 500 years of prime living, baby, right? It's got its, it's, got its, its years left, right? But here's the thing about that tree. That tree didn't just start as that. It started as a seed, Right? That tree started as a seed. It didn't grow to be 65 feet high and, and have a covering of 17,000 square feet because someone was like, boom, oak tree, right? It started as a seed, a seed that was planted in the right soil, that was planted in the right environment, that was water that was taken care of, that ultimately sunlight hit it, the right environment, and it grew into something that no one maybe could have imagined or thought of in and of themselves, the tree itself, it didn't muscle to its own growth. The tree itself, it didn't just think the right thoughts and all of a sudden it's this 65-foot tree, right? It needed a life-giving source to be able to exist. And the question that myself and the leadership here at Grace Church have been asking and wondering is this, what if we invested in such that spiritually the next generation would look more like oaks than mushrooms, what if our investment over the next three years, ultimately 12 and beyond, invested into the spiritual health of the next generation so that they spiritually looked like oak trees that had a covering over the communities we sent them into? What if we as a campus, right, weren't just concerned about what took place on the calendar and the events, but we invested in such a way that these oak trees would be planted across our region, across our country, across the world because of the ways we invested now. And it starts with a seed. And here's the reality. That's really fun to look at. Like all the things are happening. All the branches are going everywhere. That's an awesome picture. 400 years ago, that didn't exist. 
It wasn't as fun. It wasn't as sexy. It wasn't as cool. It didn't have as many visitors coming to it because it was just a seed. And here's the reality. As we jump into this journey, as we jump into what it looks like to invest the next three years for the years to come, it's not always going to look fun. It's not always going to make sense. It's not always going to feel great. It's not always going to have the pictures tied to it. It's not always going to feel like it's moving the right direction. But I believe that God has led us to plant the seed of the gospel in this community specifically through our church, ultimately for his glory. That so one day, we would look at the oak trees and what we would see is not look how amazing they are, but look how amazing our God is. That is the hope that as we invest into the next generation, as we invest into this generation that is to come, we would see God move in some neat and powerful ways. Now, we have been diving into this conversation and specifically we latched onto a passage that's found in Isaiah, Isaiah 61. If you wanna turn there, it'll be on the screen too that talks to this idea of an oak tree, spiritually investing into the oaks to come, the oaks of righteousness, is what Isaiah writes. This is what Isaiah writes in Isaiah 61. Isaiah, literally, he's a prophet, okay? So he was writing and speaking of Israelite and the, rela- the Israelites and the relationship with God. Most of what Isaiah writes, right, he's got a lot of profound stuff, especially in chapter six, seven, and nine. There's a lot of doom and gloom stuff. There's a lot of woes. There's a lot of like what's happening. And then he speaks to the hope of Jesus in a lot of circumstances. This is one of them. Isaiah 61 is all about Jesus. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Here's our verse. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We want to spend the next month looking at this passage. We want to spend the next month looking at the biblical vision for this journey, right? We can say all the things, we can put all the plans in place, but really we want to be so aligned to who God is and what he is doing that whether plans work out exactly like we want them to or not, we're still investing into where he wants us to invest for the sake of the gospel moving into our community in some neat and profound ways. Now, as we go on this journey, there's a few things I wanna let you know about to connect to, some resources that we have provided for you. The first one is this. There's a series guide in the back. It looks like this, little booklet. It's a five-day devotional, six-day devotional throughout the week. Grab it. It is gonna be super helpful to your journey during this month, as they always are, but there's gonna be specific prayer prompts for you to be praying over, journaling over as we go on this journey together. Uh, I see Steve back there. Usually he hands out some after the service, so grab one from him or go to our back wall where you can grab one of these. They're free, and we have a volunteer team that puts these together and does an awesome job with them. The second thing is this. I would love to spend some time with you to share very specifically where God is leading us over the next month. And so we have set up small group rooms on two Tuesdays, Tuesday the 14th and Tuesday the 21st. We're going to meet here, and I just want to share with you very logistically where God has kind of planted our investment over the next three years and where we plan to invest specifically in our community, in our discipleship, and in the investment of leaders to come. And so I'd love to spend an hour with you. I'll only take an hour. There will be light refreshments, uh, and we'll spend some time here. And so there's a sign-up sheet back there if you're interested in kind of hearing more about this discipleship journey and where you can invest in that over the course of the next three years. Sign up. We'll email you. We'll make sure that you're on the list and that you get invited very specifically to one of those two nights. And then lastly is this. On the 15th, on the 15th, we invite everyone to join us for a worship and prayer night. March 15th, it's a Wednesday night, okay? And so there'll be students, there'll be kids, there'll be adults, parents, all the above, partying in here. We're gonna just worship and pray. 
We're going to ask God to lead us in this journey as we go, not just in this month, but over the course of the next three years in what God wants to do. And at the end of this month, I just want to prepare you guys, okay? So I want your eyes up here. You're writing dates, and I know that's, that's happening, but I want your eyes up here, okay? Because at the end of this journey of this month, okay, at the end of this month, I'm going to specifically invite you to commit to some specific things in this journey, okay? Ask you to, uh, to pray over and to process where God wants you to invest over the next three years. And in the following weeks, you'll see in the back of your seats commitment cards, okay? And they'll have details. They're not there this morning, but they'll have details to where God wants and is inviting us to invest inside of this journey, and I would ask for you to start doing maybe one or two things, okay? I'd ask that you'd start praying. Just asking God, where do you want me to invest? And you may not know specifically. Come to the small group meetings. You'll get commitment cards, all that stuff. Maybe that's the journey, right? But asking God, where do you want me to invest over the course of the next three years? The second thing is to process where he's leading you to commit, process where he is leading you to jump in in maybe a way that you haven't jumped in before, right? And then lastly is just to do so on March 26th. March 26th is our commitment day where we'll have those commitment cards. You'll be able to turn them in. And it's just our way of walking alongside of you in this journey and having conversations in the midst of it, okay? So my invitation is go throughout the month with us. We'll have a blast together, a lot of really neat things to get plugged into and jump into. But today, okay, today, we're going to talk about the first of four things that we need to be committed to and that we need to invest in and that needs to be the driving force behind, behind all of this. Eyes up here again. Because we can say we're going to do a bunch of stuff, but if it is not tied to the gospel into where God is leading us, it's all for waste because it ends up just being about us doing things Amen. instead of him doing ultimately what he wants to do inside of us and our community. And so there's four things I want us to tie our hearts to in this journey and to in moving forward. And the first one is this. This journey has to be a movement of planting the gospel. This journey has to be a movement of planting the gospel. Okay? If you've been here for any length of time, you know that the gospel is something that we talk about all the time. And yet, it can be something we forget about all the time, too. We can talk about it all the time. We can put it on, you know, labels. We can put it on screens. We can make a big deal about it and yet live as if we forget the gospel. Our desire is that this journey would be bathed in, saturated in, would be a planting of the gospel as we run into our community and run into each other as a church family. Now, what's really neat about where we're going today is the passage we're going to look at is in Luke 4, that literally, as we journey through Luke throughout this year, this passage we're going to look at is pointing directly back to Isaiah 61, we're going to follow up. Garrett was here last week. He finished a series called The Baptism. He spoke on verses uh, 1 through 13 of chapter 4 in Luke. Today, we're just going to launch into Luke 4 again in verse 14. And we're going to read about what Jesus has to say in light of what Isaiah writes about in Isaiah 61, which is ultimately all about Jesus. So turn to Luke 4 with me. Turn to Luke 4. 14 through 15 is where we're going to start, Okay. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump in, and we're going to go. We're going to make it happen. Father, we give you this conversation, and we celebrated at the front end of what you did at the big event, what you're doing at the retreat. But Father, we cry out right now to you that, Father, you would open our hearts. That, Father, if there is any sort of sin, any sort of, of pride, anything that would hold us back from hearing the gospel in my heart, in our hearts, that, Father, you would break through by your spirit and that the gospel would be made rich, would be uh, something that we wonder about, that we'd be made all of, that, that we would just be basking in the beauty of it today. That, Father, Jesus' name would be made known. And, Father, would you just use this to glorify yourself? 
And Father, we thank you that we get to be a part of a journey together, that we get to be a part of your community, that we get to be a part of what you are doing inside of our lives and even beyond. And so we praise you and we love you. We thank you for all that you do. Praise your name. Amen. Luke 4, 14 through 15. This is what Luke writes. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, which I love, which if you remember what Garrett shared, okay, a little uh, kind of going off over here. Garrett said that Jesus was not in the wilderness by himself. He was in the wilderness with who? Spirit, right? The Spirit went with him. And what I love is this. Jesus exited the wilderness and the power of the Spirit was on him, right? Can you imagine in your moments of wilderness throughout life, leaving the wilderness more excited and encouraged than going into it? How awesome would that be, right? And that's what Jesus displays to us. He went before us. He went in not by himself, but the power of the Spirit was with him, and he exited the wilderness. And it says this, and the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. People are starting to know him. People are starting to follow him. People are starting to attach to him. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. This is the beginnings of Jesus's ministry. He's coming out of the wilderness, and I love what Garrett said last week. Jesus found solitude and fortitude in the Father while he was in the wilderness. And what he did in the wilderness is he went before us to show us that he is the true Savior of the world's. That in the wilderness, what we see is this, is that Jesus's identity was made known in its fullest. I'm not just here as some guy who's a good teacher. I'm the savior of the world. And in that, he went before us to say, as you walk through your wilderness, as you walk through your temptation, as you walk through life circumstances, trust in me, I've gone before you, and I'm the only one that can save you, right? And I love that about what Jesus does inside of the wilderness. And as he came out of the wilderness, full of power of the spirit, people are attaching to him. There's energy behind him, right? It's early in his ministry, so people are like loving what's going on. Miracles are happening. Jesus is teaching. And then he got invited to preach in the synagogues. Everybody's kind of flocking to what he's gonna say and what's gonna happen and where is he at and how do we attach to that, right? And then Luke goes on. Luke 4, 16 through 17. He went to Nazareth, okay? Jesus grew up in Nazareth, okay? Nazareth was not the place you wanted to be, okay? Just an FYI, right? It wasn't like this well-known, we love Nazareth. That's not the place he grew up in, where he had been brought up, right? And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. So maybe this was Jesus's lifestyle, right? On the Sabbath, their day of rest, go into the synagogue, there would be readings, there would be preaching, there would be teaching. This was an ordinary day for Jesus to run in. And then he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Jesus on that day was the special guest that was going to read what the prophet Isaiah had to say. And what I love about this, and and don't, don't blow past this too quick, He was the honored guest that as he got handed the scroll, scroll of Isaiah, he opens up Isaiah 61. Now, eyes up here, because what we're about to read is Isaiah's words prophesying about Jesus. And in this moment, Jesus is reading those words. Put yourself there. We we think about it 2,000 years later, pastor telling you what Jesus said, right? And we're we're just doing that. Jesus read these. And in those words, he is proclaiming some very powerful truths about who he is and what he's come to do. And this is Luke's kind of first written down sermon, public ministry moment of Jesus. What power comes behind this? This is what Jesus reads. Unrolling it, He found the place where it is written, which makes me think that Jesus very specifically went there. He wanted them to know why he has come. Now, hang on with me, okay? The spirit of the Lord is on me. Sound familiar? Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, 
right? I love that. Then he continues and he says, then he wrote up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, right? Have you ever had those, one of those moments where something happens and everybody's like, I can't believe that happened. So even after it happened, everybody's just staring at the person it happened to, right? That's what's happening this moment. I bet there were light bulbs going off. They're like, maybe this is the guy, Maybe, maybe that's him. Maybe it's the Savior. Maybe it's the Messiah. Maybe it's the one we're waiting for. They're wondering because of what Jesus just read. And then he began by saying to them, this is powerful. He comes right after he reads this. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, which I absolutely love, right? The eyes are fastened on him. They're like, give us more, Jesus. They're like, please help us, right? And then he just loads a bomb onto them. And he's like, today, what Isaiah was writing about is fulfilled. Shaboom, right? And that's when the documentary starts, right? That's when the movie starts, right? After that moment. And in this moment, Jesus is proclaiming something profound and absolutely unreal that we have to attach our lives to and we cannot get sick of seeing and cannot become old to us. There's three things I want to highlight today. Three things, right? Underneath the movement of planting the gospel. The first is this. The gospel, which also means good news, is Jesus. It is him. Let that sit with you for a second. This movement of planting the gospel is not about how much good I do. It's not about how well articulated I am. It's not about what I did or didn't do in the past. It's about Jesus, who he is, what he's about, what he's come to do. And what I love about this passage is this. Jesus is not just speaking good news, which he is, Jesus didn't just bring good news. Jesus is the good news. And sometimes, if I would be honest and real with you, I miss that. I can get so caught up in, well, I got to figure this out, and I got to go do this, and I got to do good over here, and I got to, like, make it happen that I forget staring into Jesus' eyes. He is the only good news that I need, and he is the one that motivates everything else. And unfortunately, right, Unfortunately, good news to us can be watered down, right? Good news, got steak for dinner. You're like, yes, praise the Lord for steak, right? Good news, Durbin's and scoops are open. You're like, yes, good news, ice cream's back in Barberton. We can live again, right? Get out and do all the fun stuff, right? Good news, right? We're going on vacation, right? Good news, this and this happened. Good news, this and that didn't happen, right? What is interesting about this is our good news, usually it pertains to something happening to me or not to me. And the good news that Jesus is talking about is all about him. Yes, it impacts our life deeply. But if it just becomes about me, then I miss what the good news is actually about, and it's him. I love what Luke does, ultimately what Jesus does in this passage in Luke 4. This is where the passage goes in verse 18. It's not on the screen, but just follow along. He says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me, right? What did Luke write in verse 14, right? The power of the spirit is going with Jesus out of the wilderness, right? Jesus came out of the wilderness with the power of the spirit and Isaiah is pointing to Jesus at this time and place, there, there is no, there should be no shock that this is happening when it's happening, right? Isaiah is pointing to this moment that the Savior of the world is coming and Jesus came to fulfill that moment very specifically so we would see who he is and what he's all about, the good news that comes with him. Then I, uh, Luke continues. In Luke 4, 21, he began by saying to them this, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, Jesus was proclaiming he was here to fulfill the good news. He is the good news. He came to be the good news. He came so that you could see good news. That's why he came. Listen, we'll get to this in a moment, so I don't want to rabbit trail too far. Some of us think Jesus came 
or some of us think God just kind of hovers over us to make sure we're following the rules or to calculate the wrongs and the rights or to kind of smite us when we don't do well enough. And what we see in this passage is this, Jesus came so that we could understand and attach to the good news, which is him. And that good news is surrounded in love. And ultimately, we'll see that play out in Jesus's life. But here's something fascinating. Jesus doesn't share the entire Isaiah 60, 61 passage. Do you notice that? He stops, which I absolutely love once I looked into it and I was talking to the sermon series team, Michael and Amy and Mike were talking to me. And look at the parallel of these passages. I think they're on the screen. If you put them on there, Dan, Isaiah 61.2 and Luke 4.19. Luke 4.19 is the top. Isaiah 61.2 is at the bottom. Jesus says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, I've come, right? And he stops there. Isaiah 61, 2 continues, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor in the day of vengeance of our God. There's a very distinct moment that Jesus stops at. And listen, I need your eyes up here because it can just become words to us. And we can just read it and be like, well, he just didn't want to finish that, right? Or, or he just didn't want to go there that day, right? It's like his first public sermon. He didn't want to go to the vengeance of God moment, right? Or he was telling us something about why he came and ultimately what he is here for and what he is here for even now. Jesus wants us to know in this moment that he came to save, not condemn. He has come to redeem and rescue us. And in this moment, yes, the day of vengeance of our God is to come, and that is in his second returning. But in the in-between, between his first coming and his second coming, he has come so that we can enjoy what ultimately he talks about in the day of the Lord's favor which I'll tell you about in a minute, but John writes about this too. John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That is Jesus. Yes, there will come a moment where his justice will kind of cover everything and everything will be made new and everything will be made right and that will happen, right? And all the injustices will be taken care of and that will exist, but in the in-between, Jesus wants us to know that he has come to rescue us. That he stops there specifically because that day of the vengeance of our God has not come yet and he is patient and merciful and gracious and he wants us to run into him because he has run to the depths of our mess for us. And he invites us to see that love. What I love about where Jesus stops, he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know what the year of the Lord's favor was all about? Well, in the Old Testament, it was called the year of Jubilee, right? And that's what scholars believe Jesus was pointing to. And in that celebration, there were multiple things that happened. Debts were canceled, slaves were freed, and new starts happened. Jesus is telling us that he's come now to save us, to cancel our sin and free us. And at one, at some time in the future that we don't know when that's going to happen, he will come back and he will, a judgment will take place, but not right now. He's saying, attach to me. Understand why I've come. Understand that I am the good news. And in that good news, I want you to fall in love with me because I so love you. The gospel tells me a few things. First is this, God loves you. Don't, don't let that just go in one ear and not the other. The creator of the universe who created everything to be good and holy and righteous who could exist in and of himself in relationship decided that he wanted to extend his love to us. And in the fullness created the universe, the heavens and the earth, light and dark, which I just read about this morning, created animals and plant life and the sea and everything that we get to experience. He created, then he created you and I to be made in his image and in his likeness. We are the only creatures that carry around that kind of stamp. And his love 
runs after us. And here's the reality. We may all have different views of God. You talk to anybody, there's going to be different views of God. And oftentimes, it, it doesn't start with God loves me. It starts with God is out for me. God's the rule keeper. God hates me. The gospel tells me he loves me. He loved me from the beginning. And then we see in Jesus, his love at its fullest, richest, most mind-boggling moments that he would send his son to die for me, which we'll get to. But here's the reality. The gospel also tells this, and it tells me something about myself that I need to understand and even believe at a very deep level for me to ever understand the gospel at its full length, that sin separates you. It does. I'm in a book, and specifically in this book, I'm in the chapter that's all about sin. And you'd think that a chapter about sin would be depressing, and it's not, right? It's enlightening. It is crazy, mind-boggling, but it's amazing the depths that God went to to save us. When I understand my sin in light of his grace, it's not depressing, but when sin, when you look at your sin, it is. What's going on around the world, what's happening in our hearts, it's changed everything. Sin separates you from relationship with God, and unless attached to Jesus, it separates you for eternity. And here's the reality about sin. Sin is not so much external of me that I should be worried about. It's what's internally happening in me. Oftentimes, sin I associate to behavior or I associate to external things happening out there. The most intense thing that you should take a look at is your heart. Your heart, throughout Scripture, Jesus points to it, prophets point to it, is the thing that is most wicked and most in need of being saved. So when I get upset and I'm like, it's their fault, it's not, I'm a sinner, right? When things happen, that's what's taking place. And sin does multiple things. It blinds me, it creates an addict of me, and it will eventually destroy me if I don't run into Jesus, which literally is eternity in separation from God, hell, right? And here's the reality, eyes up here. Even when you've attached your life to Jesus, who has defeated sin, who has defeated death, who has power over that through the resurrection, sin still exists in this world. And it will still come in and tempt. It will still try to deceive. And the gospel needs to be the thing that we continually run into. Because thirdly, Jesus rescues you. Jesus rescues you. What I love about that is this. He's the only one that frees you. He's the only one that can cancel your debts. He's the only one that can save you. And in saving you, he gives you a new heart, a heart that goes from stone, a hard heart, to a heart that is what, what uh, Scripture would say is flesh. It's malleable, right? Like I, I explained, like Play-Doh, right? can move it. Doesn't mean you're perfect all of a sudden, but it means the perfect one has laid down his life, the life that you could not live, died the death that you deserve, rose again to defeat sin, to defeat death, defeat its power over you, and so that your heart could be changed to become following after him and more like him over time. The reality is he wants you to lean into him. You and I cannot change our hearts you and I cannot change what we do. You and I cannot change our salvation status. It is only him. He's the only one that rescues us. He's the only one that saves us. He's the only one that goes before us, right? I was thinking about it like this because I'm a, I'm a word picture person. I'm not great at doing home stuff. I hire people to do my home stuff because I will break down the home if I did home stuff. And it would be interesting because I'm into more of the uh, interior decorating, right? And making sure the lawn looks good. 
I'm more into that jive, as you laugh at me, yes, but that's my jive. I can make a house look real nice and neat. I can make the yard look pristine. I can make sure that it's all cleaned up on the outside, right? But there's a very real problem if everything is nice and neat, laundry's put away, the mowing's done, all this, the kids' toys are in this perfect line or whatever, you know, and you go down to my basement and the foundation is just chopped and cut and pieces are falling off and it's bad and it's moving and shaking, it's leaning and all the things, right? You would say something's wrong. And I would say, yeah, but but don't you see where I put the couch? It's nice and new now. Don't you see what I did over here with the TV? Don't you see the pictures? Don't you see the lawn outside? And, and the reality is it's like, who cares? You keep living this house, it's going to fall down, and it's going to be bad. You need a new house or someone that has a lot of ideas and thought to put into the basement, right? Here's the reality. Sometimes I think we interact with Jesus like that. That, that as long as we got the external stuff, as long as all the things are in place, the couch, all the things are happening, right? Let's just stay out of the basement, which needs the most work. The reality is Jesus said, I've come to save you from this. I've come to free you from this. And Jesus doesn't just come in and patch up some holes and walls he doesn't just come in and say, why don't we create a door here so that no one walks down the basement, right? He says, why don't I just get you a new home? Jesus rescues us in ways that you and I could never. And when you and I figuratively say yes to him and our life is in that new home, the hope is you'd want to have everybody over because of what he's done for you. See what he's bought, see what he's done, see what this experience is like. That's what having a new heart is about. Not that you become magically perfect, but that you become magically in love with the one who has saved you, who has, who has run after you, who has freed you, who has done for you what you cannot do for yourself. And you're like, see, and I'm still slightly messed up a lot, but he is working on me. And it's because of his gospel that all of this can transpire into newness. Because you're looking at someone who's deeply messed up. And the further I go, the further I realize how messed up I am. And I'm like, dang, I thought this would end at some point, right? <laughs> and the reality is this. If I keep digging deeper and allow the gospel to do its thing, it will show me how messed up I am continually and how gracious our God is continually Amen. and that I'm not supposed to fix it, that he has done it and done the work on the cross and through the resurrection of his son so that we could enjoy his family, his kingdom and life in him. It's not up to me. He rescued me. He put me in the new home per se. He's planted the seed in my life that will grow and grow as I attach to him and fruit will be seen. So the question that we always ask around here is this, will you say yes to Jesus? The story of God has always been pointing to Jesus. Are you willing to say yes to him? Sin tells me I can do this on my own. Jesus came and said, you can't, but I will for you. Some of us, we're living on our own. We're trying to do it on our own. We are trying to be God instead of allowing him to lead me. For some of us, we need to attach to Jesus today. We'll get to that. But secondly, the gospel, is good, or the gospel is all about Jesus. The gospel is transformative. And I'll run through this, and then we'll close out here. The gospel is transformative. Luke 4.18. This is what we see Jesus say, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Jesus transforms lives. Listen, he didn't just say, I brought good news. And then I'm out, right? He's like, your life will be transformed. If you attach your life to me, if you say yes to me, you will see transformation take place. Because here's the reality. What he's talking about in this passage, right, is the transformation that we can have in Jesus because sin creates a distinct lifestyle inside of each and every one of us. Sin impoverishes, the gospel enriches Sin enslaves, the gospel frees. Sin blinds, the gospel opens eyes. Sin oppresses, the gospel heals. 
Listen, sin looks fancy on the outside, but as you dive deeper, it leaves you empty. And for some of us, we just keep running back to that relationship, keep running back to that addiction, keep running back to those people or that thing or whatever, and it's left us impoverished. And you keep running into Jesus, it will not. Freeze you, it enriches you, it'll show you the beauty and the wonder of who he is. Second Corinthians 5, Paul writes this, says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Verse 21 down below says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I've heard an author say it this way, that when you say yes to Jesus, when you are in Christ, God sees you as he would see Jesus. Because all of a sudden, Jesus identified with us on the cross as sinners. And when you identify with Jesus and say yes to him, you get the righteousness that he has. Not because of anything you've done, but because of what he's done. And God starts to see you, does see you as he would see Jesus, which means this, as Paul was writing, that you and I are new, not old anymore, that we're new in Christ, that we get a new identity. Listen, that should be profound, that you are no longer known by that name or that thing or that past or that mess up or that mistake or that sin, but you're known as a child of God, you're known as forgiven, you're known as an ambassador, you're known as someone different. You have a new community. Listen, the church is this new community of messes that have come together because the gospel has transformed our life. But listen, you interact in community differently too. You start to interact as someone who wants to lean into Jesus and for the sake of him being known. And then lastly is this, you have a new mission. The gospel is transformative. Your purpose, your values, your vision for your life are no longer yours, they're his. And he is gonna set you off with the spirit, with your gifting, and with this message called the gospel into a mission field, which could be your home, could be your work, could be your neighborhood, could be a community space, all the above. And he says, you may feel like you have nothing to give, but in the gospel, you have everything to give. Don't, don't tell me you don't have anything and you don't know where your spot is. Let's find it because the gospel tells me something different. You've been changed. You're new in that. Sin mars my identity. The gospel restores it. Sin breaks my community. The gospel redeems it. Sin distorts my mission. The gospel reconciles it. And we want to see lives in our community transformed. It begins with the good news of Jesus being planted in their life and ultimately God being glorified because that's last. The gospel is for God's glory. This is what Isaiah writes. This is verse three. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. If you and I want to see oaks grow out of the next generation, if you and I want to see oaks grow out of our community, two things have to happen. First is the gospel has to be at the center of it. The gospel is the only thing that plants the seed and sees oaks developed out of it. And secondly is this, that oak tree has to be for the glory of God. Amen. Because it is only by him that we get a chance to invest in oaks, right? And so the gospel is God's glory. The gospel is all about God's glory being seen and demonstrated. I'm gonna say this. I, I hope you hear it out of a gracious heart because I think our stories do matter. But the gospel is not first about my story, it's always first and foremost about his redemptive story being fulfilled. It's not first about my story. It's about his story first and foremost being fulfilled. When I say yes to Jesus, yes, my story is being deeply impacted. Yes, 100%. I get the chance to partner with him in making other stories impacted too. But here's the reality the gospel came to impact our story, but ultimately is impacting the landscape of God's story. It's bigger than just you and I. It's a collective thing. It's a story of life change, yes, but it's a story of a newness to the world and to the story of mankind as a whole. That it's God working out his plan to fulfillment, to restore all that has been broken. For the sake 
of his glory we send so that his glory is displayed, not ours. I'm going to invite Paige and Dave to come up as we close. And before you put anything away, you don't have to write anything down, but before you put anything away, and we just close here with a couple songs, just two questions, all right? Because the gospel, the good news about Jesus, it's transformative. It's about God's glory. Listen, the question I have for you is this, first and foremost, has the gospel been planted in your life? Has the gospel been planted in your life? Maybe for some of us, there's been people around that have thrown seeds and maybe it has heard it, maybe you've experienced it at some level, but it's never been deeply rooted and planted in your life. And this morning, what Jesus wants to do is rescue you from the power of sin, from the power of death, from death happening so that you can spend eternity with him and fall more in love with him in this life. For some of us, right now, our lives, we're running after that thing. We're trying to do it on our own. Sin is living in self-sufficiency and autonomy from God, saying, I want to be like him and do my own thing. Some of you are doing that. And that is what's killing you. You go down this track of boyfriend or girlfriend, it gets destroyed. You go down this track of addiction, it doesn't fulfill. You go down this track of workaholism, it doesn't fulfill. You go down this track, and it doesn't fulfill. And you're lost. You're wondering, is there anything? Jesus is the only one who can save And he offers you new life through his death and resurrection. And so for some of us, it's saying yes to Jesus for the first time. And then saying yes to him every day after that. Because arguably it gets harder. Sorry. Right? Arguably it's harder. Because if you talk to someone who said yes to Jesus in here, the deeper you go into the gospel, the more is revealed about your heart and the depth of your sinfulness. But the grace of God goes way deeper. And so if you're in here and the gospel's been planted in your life, my question to you is this, is it growing? Is there noticeable fruits growing in your life because of the gospel's impact in your heart, not because of how much church you do or how much activities you're a part of? Are you allowing yourself to run into the abiding love of Jesus? Then, as a church, this is the question I would ask Where are we planting the gospel right now? Where are we planting the gospel right now? Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, he says this. I love this. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Listen, eyes up here, eyes up here. Our job is not to make something grow. Our job is to be faithful to the partnership God's invited us into which is planting the seeds of the gospel wherever we're at. In word and in deed, yes, in both. And so I ask, where are we planting the gospel right now? Because we all live in neighborhoods. We all have roommates. We all have family. We all have friends. We have spouses. We have people in our community, community spaces that we're serving in that you go to, the Y, you go to coffee shops, you go to restaurants, you go to work. Where are we planting the gospel? I didn't say, where are we making it grow? That's that's God. He's the one by his spirit that makes it happen. So if you're in here and you've said yes to Jesus, I challenge you to think of one person. I guarantee each of us knows one person, probably two, probably three, probably four that don't know Jesus, who maybe live right next door or you go and see at work every day. How are you intentionally planting the gospel for the sake of what God wants to do with it? We want to be a movement that's planting the gospel for the sake of people being saved by Jesus and for God's glory. What if, what if over the next three years as a campus, we attached to that? 
What if? What if the next three years we just said we are going to plant the gospel in our community? What if that was the thing that we stood on the mountaintop on that we wouldn't give way to? What if we said yes to where God wants us to be? Because I can tell you we serve a God who's big, who's better, who's greater, who has done numerous things. He can make it grow as long as we partner in what he wants us to partner in. He says, I want you to be a part of this. So Father, we, we ask that you would just lead us right now. Father, that you would lead us into what it means to be a part of the gospel movement that you called us to be. And Father, it's not for our glory, it's not for our sakes, not even because of us, but you've invited us to embrace the gospel and plant the gospel. And so, Father, we give you this all. We ask that you would just even work in us right now on where maybe our hearts are off kilter, maybe for the first time saying yes to you. And Father, we're grateful that you allow us to be a part of what you're doing. Praise in your name.